that would have been helpful the uh, the first time we tried this. Yeah. everybody welcome to how to survive the modern world for gen x isn't just a fashion statement presented as always by tribe74.com my name's rob and today i'm joined by my good friend as always andrew how you doing buddy good help yourself rob not too shabby uh falling apart even more oh no now i'm attached to a monitor and oh yeah i got wires just dangling everywhere and uh it makes it interesting when i try to do anything and try not to get hooked up and caught on because they, they warned me they said uh that's twenty five hundred dollars attached to your body worth of equipment so don't break it yeah i think that was a warning but uh what are they gonna do if i do guess you'll find out if it happens the, wor the worst part of this is so if anybody who's, who's listening uh, i'm i've been having some issues you know health-wise kind of covid style but not covid related because i have don't have covid haven't had covid it's a little heart monitor called a holter monitor or something like that and uh, it's just like uh basically just monitors my heart rate uh throughout the day people i've talked to have say oh yeah you have it for 24 to 48 hours well my doctor my cardiologist says 14 days <laughs> i can't take this thing I, I have an allowance of one hour a day that i can take it off like for a shower or for whatever reason you know to change up the uh, the sticky pads so they don't uh rip out all my skin yeah so trying to sleep with this thing is fun because i'm uh i sleep on one side but then i usually shift to the other side all night but i can't do that because now i actually have to pick up the monitor and flip it over with me no i don't know if i could handle that like i toss and turn all night i can never stay in one spot it's been some rough going i'm gonna tell you that i'm getting used to it but there are just some some things daily life things that you take advantage that, that you take for uh, uh granted i'm not going to speak about on on, on the air okay because uh, nobody's going to want to hear about it but uh you know just some <laughs> of the things that you do during the day that uh, are definitely a struggle now just because you know one hand always has to have that monitor so it doesn't drop oh man use your imagination <laughs> yeah i'm afraid we all are yeah but that's why we're here because we we have great imaginations and speaking of great imaginations what is on the menu for tonight andrew oh rob tonight we are going to be talking about fan expo our recent comic book readings and star wars the bad batch oh yes uh, a very nerdy very nerdy and very light discussion today i think oh it's gonna be fun so rob first off why don't you tell our listeners a bit about fan expo and what it is just in case they've never heard of it they've been living under a rock so fan expo is basically the comic con of canada uh, it's been around uh since about uh i don't know uh, 20 years or so 1995 i think is when it first started just as kind of like a uh, the national comic book expo but it's really grown into something bigger it's got like gaming sci-fi horror uh anime it's just become uh, this massive exhibition and now they've it is absolutely huge it takes over the entire like metro toronto convention center if you've ever been to the toronto convention center it is just massive right and there's so much space multiple buildings multiple buildings like oh, you gotta go to hallways and rooms and uh it's, it's just great but this massive massive area filled with everything nerdy and if you're a nerd you absolutely love it and you probably know i mean if you're a nerd and you're listening you you know what fan expo is 
or if you don't uh, because you're you're not from Canada then you know what Comic Con is and basically it's the same thing just you know, different country. No, it it essentially gives you a revived energy as soon as you walk in that building. A revived energy and a revived funk. Oh, and by, oh. And by funk I mean unwashed masses. <laughs> <laughs> But that comes that comes with any uh, any convention. Really. All in costume. All in costume. Some of those costumes are pretty damn good. Some of those costumes are pretty damn big. They are unbelievable. I, I when I go, I don't dress up, but I think those that do, I think that they do some remarkable stuff. Some costumes are absolutely crazy. My first exposure to Fan Expo was back in uh, I think about two thousand eight or two thousand nine. When I had my film studio, we we ended up getting a, a vendor booth. Wow, I'll tell you, like I didn't know I didn't know what to expect. So the first time you're going there is is as a vendor. That was my first time going there. Actually, those, those are the only times I've been there. That is absolutely crazy. What a way to experience it. I was going as a uh, like I'm a comic book fan anyway, so I was going as a as a comic book artist. But with our studio, we weren't really known, so it was just kind of like we're gonna try it out. We got a really good deal at a table. Uh, why not? Let's do it. It's going to be fun. We'll get some exposure. And uh, wow, what a, what a time it was. Like, it was just massive. But there were times when, you know, you know, people are passing by our booth and, you know, they'd be knocking stuff over because these costumes were so huge. There were throngs of people. Like, I think in 2016 alone, they had 130,000 people in two major buildings all over a four-day weekend. Generally, they so they open on a Thursday uh, the Thursday night, they quite often have a big get together and a bit of a dance and stuff like that. Friday, they're they're right into it on the on the floor. Fridays are generally when I go. I quite often take a day off work and I take my son. We go down to the show, and uh, and wander the floors because there isn't as many people there. Um, when you go on the Saturdays and and the Sundays, you are shoulder to shoulder with everybody and everybody's trying to crawl over each other to get to get to the next vendor oh, from my personal experience yes saturday on just ridiculous if, if you have an issue with crowds or with people and you don't like being in those tight areas do not go on the saturday do not no no friday's your day yeah sunday wasn't too bad but a lot of people are also closing stuff up but you know the, the great thing about the sunday is that like in most things, any shows or anything that you go to conventions, like people are just trying to sell everything and get it away. So you get the best deals if you go on the Sunday. The other thing is that a lot of the inventory has been sold out. So if you're going there looking for a particular collectible, and if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be at that show. Then you want to be there on, on the first day or two. Insider tip. It, 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 in some cases, it doesn't matter because what they do is they actually have certain allotments for each day. Oh, tricksters. But that being said, yeah, like you are taking that chance, right? Because if, if it's really successful on the Saturday, they might just say, oh, we got nothing left, right? They want to move product, right? It's all about making the money. Oh, completely. You got any, you got any good juicy stories you want to share? I guess two shows back that I went to, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't call it a juicy show, but I took my camera along with me and filmed the entire thing as, as I went around. People want to just like be on camera anyway, but soon as you have a camera and thousands of people in costume, it takes it to a whole other level. 
People love the camera. They certainly do. I felt like a celebrity that day walking around with the camera in hand. I probably shouldn't have done it. Uh, you know, my arms were tired at the end of the day, but I loved it. The, the real trick is to wear like a shirt that says crew or, you know, or something like that, right? You know, like a Tribe 74 crew shirt. Oh, yeah. I should have pulled that out. People flock. But, you know, honestly, they see they see camera. And if you look semi-professional, they don't care. They want to be in front of that camera. Oh, yeah, definitely. A lot of times at, at those shows, the reasons I go is to take my son there and try to kind of get him some neat collectibles, stuff that nobody else has and to put up on a shelf and kind of gives them a little bit of bragging rights for for the other geeks out there the, the convention exclusives or just yeah the, the, the next the nice thing about it though those shows too is that you get a lot of the vendors coming from different cities and different areas and sometimes even from like different countries spread their wares where generally in, in your area you only have maybe one or two places that you might go generally right for your collectibles or whatever it is that you're seeking it gives you just a more opportunity to see more diverse, you know, selection of items. The other thing is too, I don't, I don't know how much are you into the, the celebrities or meeting the celebrities that they show. That's pretty cool. I actually, I've never done it myself. I've asked, I've asked my son if he wanted to go meet some of the, he's big in anime. Um, I've asked him to see if he wants to go meet some of the voice actors. And uh, he's always been very hesitant about that. So we've we've actually never gone to meet any of the celebrities. It's crazy to watch the people. First off, as soon as you kind of enter into that building, when you enter into that building, you generally are walking over a glass walkway that looks down onto that convention floor. All along the one wall are the, all of the celebrities um, that are signing autographs, getting photographs done. There are security all on top of that runway because they don't want anybody taking a photograph of those celebrities that aren't paying. It's almost a little silly to think about it. Like you can be like 10 feet away from a celebrity and not interact with them, but you would just want to take a picture. I did it a few times, but I, I had an all access pass. That's a little different. And I know that there's, I was getting the side eye from a few people, but you know, I just flashed that pass and I didn't really care too much. My favorite though was... Oh, my daughter was hungry, so I was going to take her over to the little pizza hut because that was our, the pizza pizza that they had in the back corner. That was all they had at the time. And I thought, I got an all-access pass, so I'm just going to walk through the curtains over here. Well, open the curtains up, and there's Christy Swanson, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original Buffy, yeah, yeah. You know, was standing there, like, right there. Buffy. Like, I literally opened up, and she's, like, staring at me. Oh, hi. She goes, hey, how you doing? Right. My daughter's with me. She had no idea who, who, who this person was, my daughter. <laughs> But you had an all-access pass on. I had an all-access pass, so I said, oh, and I just kind of like, we just kind of pass each other, brush past each other, and I took my daughter to go get the pizza, and she went out to go sit at her table to start signing autographs. I'm like, That's wicked. That's a better experience than paying $20 for an autograph. Oh, completely. That's a great story. Better than my getting cool collectible story. There's lots of awesome stuff, things to see and do there. And that's that's what I loved about it so much, too. It wasn't even just, like, about the celebrities. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of, of going up to and paying celebrities uh, on top of already paying, like, the massive amounts of, that you have to pay for your tickets and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to see the celebrities. I think it's cool. But I don't know if I would sit there and, you know, go through the hassle. Because you miss a lot of the show when you see when you see the lineups. 
for instance, Leonard Nimoy was there the one year. And you got to imagine this is before, just not long before he died. The lineup to see Leonard Nimoy, you know, who's Spock for anybody who, who doesn't know from Star Trek, the lineup was massive and the people were in the lineup and I could like see people in that lineup for hours. And I'm just thinking like, well, you're missing all the rest of the show. Yeah. And may, you know, maybe if you had like a, the weekend ticket or something like that, I guess it's okay. But at the same time, I mean, I was walking around. I'm like, one of my favorite things about, about a lot of these shows is that they have this artist alley. Oh, that's wicked. I love wandering through that area. And you don't have to pay to talk to any of these guys. And these are all famous artists, whether it's comic books or anime or... And those guys are just waiting for people to come up and talk to them. That's right. Like, And you're meeting these guys who, who actually change the culture, like when it comes to like, you know, like comic books or cartoons and stuff. Yeah. Whether it's Jim Lee or, Art, or sorry, uh, Adam Hughes is so many of these like mad like artists that are so famous and people pay big dollars for like their comic books and you can just walk up to them and talk to them yeah and you know if you're if you you know if they don't have too many commissions on the go they'll they'll sit there and they'll draw a picture for you generally got to pay for it but well and that's understandable you're buying a piece of art at that point the first time i went to the show i actually walked in there and thinking that these were knockoff artists if you will just fan art but no no, this isn't fan art. These are the artists. Everybody's over there trying to get an autograph from the soup Nazi. And here I am, Adam Hughes and, and his wife, like who also is an artist as well. And I was in there going like, these people, like I handle their comic books like regularly. You know, you go talk to the soup Nazi all you want. Yeah. I'm going to talk to these amazing artists and writers, like world-renowned artists and writers. Nobody gets that opportunity. It is, it is funny though. And I feel because, I, because I'm an artist and I was there and I'm a nobody artist. You know, people are coming up and they're, they're looking at my stuff and I'm going up and I'm looking at other artists, like uh, independent artists or the people like me who just, you know, manage to rent a table or whatever, where, where nobody's coming to, to, to spend money at our tables, right? They just want, you know, we kind of have to just give people artwork just so they, they know who we are. They're just looking for a place to put a Coke down. Organize their bags. <laughs> you, you know how many times I had to clear Coke cans off of our table at the studio's <laughs> table? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious because you, you feel bad for, for the people in Artist Alley who are, are independent and nobody really knows them because you don't see a lot of transactions happening there. But then you see people, you know, obviously spending a lot of time with the professionals. As a studio, we didn't really get a lot of value out of, what, out of renting those tables there. So it was almost like a loss. But if you have a name, like it's huge, it's, it's massive for you. Yeah, I think if you went and, and took a store there, um, I think you'd probably do very well, just depending on on what you brought with you on on any given day. Like we we got we we had a special deal. Like we knew uh, our the person that was kind of running our connection knew the guy who was running the show, so he got us he gave got us a really good deal. But I can't imagine some of these people I've, spend tons of money. I have looked at those prices um, a few years ago, and it's unbelievable you would have to sell an incredible amount of of product to kind of make it back just first off and not only that you'd have to mark it up as well too yeah and that's just it there was there was this one table uh i don't remember the name of the comic off the top of my head i do have the comic because the guys were on the sunday the guys were basically giving them away at the end of the day but they had this massive booth and it must have been like a three three full-size booths all jammed together and they had a table, and they had one comic, oh, is it like called United Free Worlds or something like that? And the comic book was interesting. It was like pretty well done, but they must have had 10,000 comics of this co- copies of this comic book here. 
by Sunday, they were trying to sell it for a dollar. On the Friday, starting on the Friday, uh, they, it was like five or six dollars per issue. Yeah. On the Sunday, they were trying to sell for a dollar, and they still had possibly almost as much product as they had on the Friday that they had on the Sunday. They're probably taking a loss at that point. Well, you can imagine how much they paid to get this printed because it, it was just an independent group. But I ended up buying one for a dollar. Sure. You know, I was like, okay, I may, may as well, right? I got to support the guy. No, for sure. The bad thing is, so the little story comes out of this, is that the writer of this particular comic book is now in jail in California for brutally murdering his girlfriend at the time what's that book about it's 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 like some science fiction there's like a, okay a tyrannosaurus rex and blazer guns and tanks and stuff like that and i talked to the guy i recognized him in the pictures it was it disturbing when i came across articles I, I i found the comic book i was doing some research on the comic and uh, then i came across this article about the writer was was in court being charged with the murder of his girlfriend and i'm reading the story and like you know like he had drained her body of blood who does that Exactly. It was like this terrible thing. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is a guy that was like at Fan Expo just a few years prior peddling his, his comic book. And then to find out that he just like, he just went and, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe people should have bought that freaking comic. It sent him into a rage that day. That's a crazy story. For sure. I've got, I've got quite a few stories. Uh, and I was only, I've only ever been to two Fan Expos, if you can believe it or not. Really? And one of them was was as a seller. Both of them were as a seller. Both of them were as a seller? Yes. First one was, I believe, uh, 2009, and then the second one was 2010, or it was 2008, 2010. We did them two years in a row. But then the third year, we had the opportunity, and we are just like, no, it's not, it's not really worth it for us as a film studio. There's a couple other film studios there, but as a film studio, it wasn't really a thing for you as a, as a minor film studio. If you're, if you're like a major studio, like, you know, Sony or uh, some of the other film studios, they had these big things big booth set up massive like i remember the tron motorcycle was there uh i don't know if you'd ever seen that or not yeah it's wicked one of the shows actually and i think it was the first show going to and i'm walking by a booth and i see ninja turtles and heavy metal magazine and i stop and i look at it is that kevin eastman Ninja Turtle fame. So Kevin Eastman is one of the originators of, of the Ninja Turtles. Right. And I know that Kevin Eastman had gone on to work in, and he took over as editor-chief of Heavy Metal Magazine. And then I seen a sign that said Kevin Eastman beside him. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's got to be Kevin Eastman. Yeah. So I went running back to my booth. I had these little uh, uh, these little sketch cards made up uh, with my my uh, company name on them and all that stuff. And I would draw pictures if anybody wanted them. Nobody wanted them. I went back to my booth and I drew up, I whipped up a Ninja Turtle real quick. And I go running back to the booth, to, to the heavy metal booth. And I hand it to Kevin Eastman and say, hey, can I get a, a, picture, like a picture of you with this? Sure, why not, right? So I get him to stand up. He's holding up this picture of my drawing of a Ninja Turtle. And I took a picture of him. I thought it was pretty cool. And then he goes and handed it back to me. I said, no, no, you can keep that, right? That one's yours. I brought a blank one with me and I handed it to him. Would you autograph this for me? So he assigns it and he draws his little Ninja Turtle on it. Oh, this is the best thing ever. It's a Ninja Turtle trade-off. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking to him for a second. So yeah, this is the greatest moment of my life. I'd be on the Ninja Turtle, blah, blah, blah. I was a big fan of the Ninja Turtles right from the get-go. And I turn around and see this massive lineup behind me. Well, this lineup was sitting there waiting to get autographs from Kevin Eastman. <laughs> and I just walked right up to him <laughs> and did all this <laughs> I had the, the stink eye I was getting from all these people who've been waiting oh, yeah. for however long, and I just walked up. I had no just, idea. There was just hold, held up your pass, all access, baby. I had I didn't even do that because I didn't even know. I didn't realize the lineup was there. 
<laughs> it's like I'm like that person. You know what? You know when you when you when you're in the shopping mall or the store, there's a lineup, and that person just walks right in front of you, and as if you know there's no lineup there, and just you know starts you know cashing out. It's like that was me. I almost did that with a Disney princess once. There was a Disney princess that was getting uh, getting photos done. And I walked down the hallway and I honestly thought that she was just standing there by herself with the photographer and, and we made eye contact and kind of had a little chuckle between ourselves as she was just getting a picture done with a, a little girl. And then I turn and see this huge line. I would have actually got my, my photo done with the princess. I think it was from the princess and the frog is what, uh, I forget what that princess's name is. Is it Tiana or something like that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I actually hadn't watched that movie until uh, like this year on the Disney Plus channel. Not sponsored by Disney Plus, but we seem to talk about Disney Plus a lot on here. Well, we do get a lot of our information from Disney Plus. We do. And my wife has made me watch that uh, movie a couple of times. It's actually a pretty good movie. Uh, not that, you know, that's anything to do with this because, you know, we know Disney princesses aren't actually real people. They could be. Maybe. You almost got your picture with one. Yes, exactly. She was a real person that day. Uh, any other any other stories or interesting things that you found? At, uh, did you find any really cool collectibles there? My son's into a huge video game that I can't remember for the life of me. And I bought him one of the, like, it was about a 12-inch statue figurine from it. And it's really well done. But yeah, that uh, that was the one real cool collectible that I got. I also bought him a sword as well, too, that was from some anime cartoon. Yeah, my son watches one called Sword Art Online. I think it may have been from that. That is that uh, film or that uh, anime is actually really famous for the sword. Like you, I know that I've seen the swords at a lot of shops where you can buy that Sword Art Online. Yeah, no, those are those are pretty wicked. Oh, video game Overwatch. Oh, the Overwatch video game. Yes, yeah, that was pretty popular. I know a few people that play it. I've never never even looked at it. No, I mean it's pretty well done, but I mean it isn't. Uh, it isn't one of those huge worlds like you find in the other video games. But still, the graphics are pretty awesome in it. Yeah, I've played yeah. it maybe once or twice, but that that's about it. Yeah, back when I was at Fan Expo, uh, the video game section, I didn't even go into it. It was sponsored by, I believe it was sponsored by PlayStation. But I didn't even, I didn't even go near it, though, because I, I wasn't, I mean, I've always been a video gamer, but I wasn't really into PlayStation or into a lot of, like, the online player versus player games. So the, it wasn't really a big interest to me. I was more excited about the comics and the, the, the horror and the science fiction. I like trying, I'm always going through the... Uh the collectible movie posters. I, I've never found one that's jumped out at me that I have to have on my wall, but I, I want to get some movie movie poster uh, artwork for, for the TV room. They have to be the right pieces and they can't be stupidly priced. No, no, you never want anything that's stupidly priced. And that's probably why you wouldn't want to buy it at like a, a fan expo unless you bought it on Sunday. <laughs> when they're looking to get rid of it i spent a lot of time in the comic section obviously and i was a little disappointed with the selection there was only a, like a handful of comic 
uh, vendors that were there. And back in the day, it was like the Silver Snail, which I don't even know if it exists anymore in Toronto. But the Silver Snail was, as a kid, it was like the, the migration. It was like the holy migration that we would go to Toronto. And part of that was to stop in the Silver Snail and to check that out. And speaking of comic books, what have you read lately? The last week I pulled out Deadpool versus The Punisher. And I also read uh, Savage Avengers, the number one. Right, with The Punisher in it. <laughs> yes, he appears at the very end. They are trying to attract him to the Savage Land. So let me tell you a story about The Punisher. Being the world's biggest Punisher fan, as I sit here with my Punisher t-shirt, you know, surrounded by 1,400 Punisher comics. And, oh, I even have a Punisher pop vinyl sitting here right beside me. And I've got a Punisher mouse pad. The Punisher, a lot of his comic books, that is what he does. He shows, or a lot of the appearances that he makes in comic books, he shows up at the very end. He does that a lot. And I don't know if it, it's just a comic book trope or it's just, that's how they bring the Punisher in. They got to make him show up for that one cameo appearance. But to get the next, to, to see, really see the Punisher, you got to buy the next issue. Oh, completely. The funny thing is, in now this is a variant that I have. And so they actually have uh, Conan, they have Wolverine, and they have Thor on the cover. You don't even see Thor in this first issue. <laughs> I don't even know why he's on the cover. Let me tell you about variant covers. Variant covers have become the plague of society, uh, the comic book collecting community. Every time something big happens, like, you know, whether it's like, for instance, the Fantastic Four came back to Marvel because the Fantastic Four was licensed by Sony or whoever it was. And Disney had fought to get the Fantastic Four back. You know, when they got the X-Men, they got the Punisher, they got Venom. Uh, they, they, or I don't even know if they got Venom back or not, obviously, because Sony is still making Venom movies. But they'd gotten the use of them back in the comic books. And for one month there, every comic book had a Fantastic Four cover. They would make it so you'd have like the Punisher or the Fantastic Four cover, but Punisher wasn't on the cover at all other than the title and just be a picture of the Fantastic Four. Right. And this is the thing that Marvel, I don't know that DC does it, but Marvel does this all the time where, you know, there's something big happening, whether it's a new movie coming out or whether it's like news, like the Fantastic Four coming back, it would like just shoot out all these covers and it would be the same comic book inside, but the cover would be different, but it would only feature that group or that, that big news character and be like, so why the heck, is you know why couldn't they integrate you know the fantastic four with the punisher for instance yeah maybe thor had a movie coming out that year i'm not sure i'm surprised they didn't put him in you know dead center front <laughs> well that, that's normally what they would have done so yeah, yeah i don't even i have i have the savage avengers because the punisher makes his appearances in it. i haven't read that those series yet so so you read it what, what did you think about it is there anything i think it's i think it's probably going to be a fairly cool storyline gosh it's been maybe two years since i got this comic so i suspect that it's it's fairly far along right now but it takes place in the savage land and i was actually surprised that kind of the sect the hand also plays a major a major part in this you always see them in like the the daredevil and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think they showed up in two as well, right? Yeah. Um, I, so I was surprised when the hand showed up here. But what they're trying to do, they're trying to, they essentially opens up with um, the hand. They're 
gathering up all the best artists and thinkers and in particular uh, the best warriors and they're all throwing them into this giant blood cauldron and the whole idea is that they're trying to summon this marrow god jotun law so then the the all these sects that have come together they're actually planning to join him in his temple in the stars i guess the way they describe it there's a planet that's beyond pluto and i guess once a millennium it lines up in a uh in a proper proper line that they, they can actually form a conjunction with earth and this is their opportunity to summon the Mar marrow god it, it's a crazy crazy kind of story conan the barbarian is there it opens essentially with uh, Conan and the Wolverine fighting. I'm not even sure why they're fighting, to be honest. That leaves a little bit to the imagination, I think. But it's a crazy fight, none, nonetheless. Um, but I know the, the reason that the Wolverine is there, Logan, he's come uh, because they've actually uh, kidnapped the hand is kidnapped or one of the other sex anyway has kidnapped a friend of his and they don't even say who the friend is at this point and so he's actually followed this individual into the savage land but i suspect that the reason that they've kidnapped whoever this individual is is actually to attract him because they're doing the same thing with the punisher and what they do at the very end is that you see a bunch of the the red ninjas carrying in coffins uh, kind of the the head of the sect is kind of like what are these and they're saying well this this is to attract the baddest of the bad the punisher and they have dug up uh maria elizabeth castle frank castle's wife the punisher's wife that that is really interesting i like i said i haven't read it yet but uh, i do know that uh they do seem to get the baddest of the bad like you put conan conan and wolverine and the punisher and you put them together i mean really if you think about it for most part in, in comic books those are the baddest badasses yeah i mean why don't you take thor off the cover and put punisher on the front <laughs> thor doesn't come across as a badass by any means like let's be yeah fair. like i'm he, he seems like one of the greatest warriors like he's not he's not even appearing in this comic maybe you're maybe you see him in the you know episode two or episode three but he's not in this one i fear i fear that marvel uh has been riding the avengers wave so high that they forget about the other characters and every chance they get they got to put an avenger somewhere yeah well they are the savage avengers well, I guess, okay, well, there we go. Maybe that's how they're tying it into the Avengers because there really is no <laughs> other Avenger that's there. You know, Wolverine is, well, Wolverine has played both parts of as an X-Men as an Avenger, and he's been all over. I mean. I still think of him as an X-Men. Your most popular character, you kind of have to put him in some books if you really want to get uh, set, make, make some sales, I guess. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. Like, I think it's up to issue 20-something. It's in the 20s now, and the, the whole cast has changed. But I'm pretty sure Conan has been the only constant across the cast like there's been you know i think the hulk has been in there uh my, my girl magic she she shows up for a couple of issues uh i couldn't even tell you i kind of stopped collecting that series because i was only collecting punisher appearances but 
the writing of, of comic books these days, for the most part, is really, really good. So it's uh, I like when they when they kind of experiment too with uh, like a storyline like this. Like I mean, Conan shouldn't even exist in the same world that Wolverine and the Punisher do. No. Just speaking of writing, I never jumped on the Deadpool bandwagon, and because I had never collected his comic before the first movie came out. And I didn't want to be that guy that felt like I was now collecting the comic just because the, you know, the first movie had come out and then the second movie had come out. But when I read Deadpool versus the Punisher, so this is the first time I'm reading anything with Deadpool in it. It is absolutely hilarious. There is like a trifecta of characters, uh, Deadpool, Harley Quinn, uh, Gwenpool, and maybe one or two other ones, or I say trifecta, but those are the, the, the three that come to my mind at the moment. Uh, those characters are just like, you read and, and you can't help but just have a good time reading them. And I'm not a big Deadpool fan by any means, but I'll tell you, like reading, reading anything, that he, anytime he shows up, anytime Harley Quinn shows up, uh, Harley Quinn's from DC, so not in the same storylines, but or Gwenpool show up, it's just, it's hilarity. Hilarity ensues. No, it, it starts out that the Punisher is pulling himself up off the floor, kind of shaking his head off. He's surrounded by dead minions. And he's kind of like, what, what went on? Deadpool has shot the Punisher in the head. So the minions think that he's on their side. And so then he can kill them all. But knowing that when he shoots the Punisher in the head that his skull is going to be so hard that's going to flatten the bullet. It goes around underneath the skin and blows out the backside of his head. So that's how this comic opens. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds about on par with, uh, with what a Deadpool Punisher comic should look like. Yeah. <laughs> Deadpool, he has, he's returning this kid Hudson back to his dad who happens to be the most successful money launderer and, and loan shark, who I believe may be his brother. Um, because he, Hudson, keeps referring to Deadpool as his uncle. So I think that they must be brothers. But so the whole fight takes place on this offshore bank. Hudson's father is trying to convince his son into killing both Deadpool and Punisher because of how much money that they're worth each because each of them has so many bounties out on on their heads one of the one of the best lines comes after Deadpool thinks the Punisher has said his mother's name Martha and he believes that the the mothers share the same name and and two guys who have mothers with the same name shouldn't be fighting together <laughs> and in fact the the punisher was just saying you mother effer <laughs> deadpool goes on to say oh i mean this this changed everything you know and punisher replies are you doing a bit or are you actually serious <laughs> <laughs> Uh, are you are you aware uh, of uh, the Justice League kind of the pop culture joke about the Justice League movie in Batman is fighting Superman and they're screaming at each other about Martha who also happens to be the mother's name I totally forgot gentlemen. about that <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure that is a complete and total jab 
Uh, I'm I don't know if the comic the, the comic book should have come out after that movie for sure. Yeah, probably a total jab. <laughs> but it it was hilarious. I loved it. Um, and then at the end of the comic, Deadpool, he he actually turns to the reader and starts talking to the reader, and uh, then his, his nephew's kind of like. Who are you talking to? He's like, oh, nobody. nobody. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth wall is broken once again. Yeah, I loved it. It was hilarious. <laughs> it's a Deadpool. I think for for anybody who who gets in, who wants to get into comics, I think you know you you talked about you know you didn't want to be that guy that you know starts reading Deadpool, but Deadpool is a good jumping on point, uh, just because it, it doesn't take itself too seriously, and you know he's it's a fun character, it's a fun read, it's a fun romp. Right. So that's what I think that's what makes him so popular as well. Uh, like you don't want to be like me who reads the Punisher, you know, a dark character all the time. There's no there's no joviality when it comes to the Punisher by any means. But, you know, with Deadpool, you know, or like I said, the trifecta, Gwenpool has had a very short run. I don't know how many people don't like her that much, but, you know, yeah. Harley Quinn for sure. And Deadpool are great, great books to jump in on because they're full of humor. I like Deadpool. I, I don't can't say I don't like him. I don't collect him, but I can't say I no, don't No, I'll like probably him. actually read more of him now that I've read this. Now, as a Punisher collector of, as I've said probably a million times, 1,400 comic books and among hundreds of other collectibles, and just absolutely love the Punisher. been collecting him since I was first started collecting comic books. He was actually one of the first comic books I ever bought, my, bought by myself. It was Punisher number two, volume two, number two. I bought in a, I remember the shortstop or as a shortstop in, in my hometown. And I remember it was on the rack and I thought that looks cool. So I spent my $3 or whatever it was at the time and picked that comic book up. So anyway, uh, recent days I've been uh, sorting my collection and, and I decided to start revisiting some of the, the issues that I hadn't read. I, when you have, when you have 1400, well, I've got like 3000 comic books in my collection, but when you have 1400 comic books that you haven't read, you know, Sometimes, you know, maybe I thought to myself, maybe I should start reading them instead of just buying them. Perhaps. So I, I thought, you know, I'm going to start at the very roots of The Punisher. And I read, uh, I read a couple issues of, uh, there was a, an old series, it was 80, 80 books, I think it was, called The Nam. And it was about the Vietnam War. And The Punisher shows up in it because that's kind of his background. He was a Vietnam War veteran. And anyway, I, I kind of read those Beat through those they were just kind of generic comics or whatever with uh, the punisher just this big badass so just like you know he was single-handedly destroying uh the the, v, the vc and, and and whatnot in vietnam but there was another series that i picked up recently it was called uh punisher the platoon and it was basically the, the story behind it was that there is a, an author who had been writing about the punisher gathers the punisher's very first platoon that was under the Punisher's command. And he brings them in, and these are a bunch of old guys, and brings them into a bar, and he starts interviewing them about the Punisher. He said, tell me about him. I want to know more. I want to understand him. I'm missing something about his origin and why he is the way he is. So they're talking to him and telling the stories, and then he reveals that he has also been talking to uh, the colonel of the NVA, uh, Latron Giap, Giap, I imagine Giap is probably how you say his name, uh, who was a Vietnamese uh, veteran, uh, and he was a commander from the Punisher's first engagement against the, the Vietnam Army. The Punisher, who was a lieutenant at the time, 
uh, was was protecting his men and these guys from his platoon who are talking to him. So they're they're sharing stories and uh, and it's just a great great series and it's only six issues long and they're just talking and, and the Punisher makes his impression but he it just shows that he's like he's committed to the cause but he's also got this he falls in love with the war and from what I understand and just from reading a lot of these comics that I've been reading specifically regarding the Vietnam War is that a lot of the soldiers would sign up for multiple tours because they were obsessed with the war. It became like an addiction to them. Well, they just don't know anything different. Right. And, you know, they, they even they, they it kind of reveals and shows that there was a lot of stuff going on from the, the people who were like the, the upper echelon of the R, the United States army uh, that, and this is kind of like, everybody talks about it nowadays and how Vietnam was just a shit show and the Americans shouldn't have been there. And But this is a really good, and, and the, the author, Garth Ennis, who does The Punisher really well, but he does wartime Punisher, like amazing. He showed that the Vietnamese, Vietnamese army were so good at what they were doing, and this is why they kind of kept the Americans back and why, why it was a losing war for the Americans. And it was just really cool to see uh, they turn the Punisher into that story and see the Punisher and this uh, Colonel Giap had a almost a mutual respect for each other. And at one point, even the Punisher gets captured and, you know, he doesn't get killed or anything like that. The, this uh, uh, Colonel or whatever, you know, like lets him go kind of thing. And is, but it's just amazing and, and reading and you're seeing like, you get a real sense of just how bad the war was and how it was just terrible for the Americans to be there in the first place. And it, it, it paints this amazing picture of the Punisher that you don't really see in like comic books, right? Like you, you feel for him because his, his wife and children were killed by the mob. And that's kind of why he starts his one man mission. But this gives it a little closer uh, breakdown of personality and character building and showing that he was basically the Punisher before he became the Punisher. Like he was uh, this guy who would always be fighting in war no matter what he was doing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it, it, they, they talk about him and they, he, these, uh, his platoon mates uh, that are being interviewed by the author, they're basically saying, and right, right to, the, to the very end, they're just saying that if it wasn't for Frank Castle, they wouldn't be there. If it wasn't for the Punisher, they wouldn't be there. Like he just, he took control and he was, he was a rookie but he, you know, he took control. He cared about the people and he was there. It was like no man left behind kind of thing. And, and it, it doesn't really paint him so much as like he, he was invincible, like a, a typical superhero story, but, you know, that he was able to leave an impact. And so I've read comics for a long time and, you know, I, I, I get emotionally involved with a lot of comics and you see some really good stories and you really know the, the stories that are really good because, you know, you have a, a deep understanding and, and you really get involved and you don't want to put the comic book down and like you don't even have and, and like even the art is good or whatever and it won't take you out of it and at the very end of this comic book and i've never done this before at the very end of this comic book the all these the, his, his platoon mates say if it wasn't for frank you know they wouldn't be there today, right? And it's, you know, just kind of like basically for the last like, couple panels, they're just basically saying about how important he was to them. And I'll read you a little excerpt. One of the one of the one of his platoon mates says, The last time I saw him, I was being chopped choppered out to the airstrip. 
for the last for the flight to Okinawa. He was still being treated, so he came along, didn't say much, just wanted to see me on the slick. I knew he wouldn't wave back. All he'd do was turn and walk away. And it shows a guy waving at him. And as they're flying away, he says, walk away from us all, I guess, without a backward glance, headed for everything that was waiting. He says, all the same, I watched him for as long as I could. This little figure, not moving once. Then the Huey dipped and we were gone. And that was the last I ever saw of him. And it shows to this last panel, which is a full page panel. And it shows the Punisher standing there, you know, as a soldier, like in the distance, waving. I had tears in my eyes. Like it just—it was just like that impactful, and it was the end of the—it was the end of the, the entire run. And I was just sitting there, like it took you on an emotional roller coaster. It was just so well written. That's crazy. They painted—they painted this the 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 Vietnamese. They painted them in a in a, a great light, like it showed that they were soldiers. They were protecting what they believed in. And it showed that these American soldiers who were fighting for their cause, but they knew Frank Castle, the Punisher knew that it wasn't a good cause. And, but they were just, you know, like he made sure that his people were going home. And it's just the way it was just so good and ended so well. I was just like, wow. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And it just made me appreciate the Punisher that much more. (laughs) Talking about the Punisher is a perfect kind of segue into the bad batch oh for sure so i mean this is another lucasfilm animation project for for star wars and it is the same sort of feel as as the punisher so this this is going to be uh 16 episodes long we're currently okay yeah and so we're currently three episodes in so you know we're going to be talking about this again when you told me about it no i hadn't been I've been busy working and doing other stuff that I hadn't really had a chance to to notice that there was a new show that had popped on. Yeah, a buddy of mine, he's he had been talking about it, kind of like, have you seen it yet? Have you seen it yet? No, I saw that it popped up on the screen on Disney Plus, but I didn't know anything about it. When you watch all the the uh, these big teaser clips talking about all oh, what's what the lineup for the next Marvel. Uh, the next uh, phase of Marvel is, and then they, they, you see the, the next phase of, of Star Wars as well. And I remember seeing the Bad Batch up there, and I was always interested. I wonder what that is. Yeah. And then I realized that it, it's so basically it's a spinoff from the Clone Wars. So if you if you watch the Clone Wars cartoon, uh, and if you're a true Star Wars fan, you've watched you know the Clone Wars cartoons. I haven't finished watching. I'm a true Star Wars fan. I swear. No, I was the same way. I didn't I didn't realize how much of the Clone Wars I had missed. There's a lot of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so many good characters come out of that. And then this show so far is is exactly the same. So many good characters. Clone Force 99. Clone Force 99, the Bad Batch. I absolutely, the first episode, I was so angry that it was over. And it was an hour long. I know. The rest of them are like 30 minutes long, but... I was sitting there like, I'm going, oh, God, it's an hour-long show. I hope not every episode's an hour-long. And then I started watching it. I'm like, what, you're going to end now? You're going to end now? I need more. I need at least three more episodes to watch right now. Absolutely. I tell you, Dave Filoni, the executive producer, like the, the created, he created the, the, the Clone Wars like, series. What a guy. That guy has just like knocked the Star Wars out of the park. He has turned Star Wars into something special more special than it used to be. They are a group of elite clone troopers that actually have genetic uh, genetic mutations 
that were actually first introduced in in the Clone Wars. Uh, they take on daring mercenary missions in the aftermath of the Clone Wars. In the first episode is when the, the Emperor decrees Order 66, which is the clone protocol, the top secret order identifying all Jedi as trainers, traitors, not trainers, traitors to the, the Empire, the newly formed Empire, and where the clones have a special chip or programming in their uh, in their cloning make up DNA where now they basically get switched on and now they their mission is to kill all the Jedi. The clone uh, 99, the, this group, the Bad Batch, they don't have this issue because it was not genetically installed in them or-, or except, was, except for Crosshair. Except for the one, one Crosshair, which leads to, obviously he's gonna be one of the biggest uh, antagonists uh, for this group. Yeah. And now three episodes in, Hunter, who's the, the clone sergeant, he's now feeling bad about leaving Crosshair behind um, as he's been more and essentially more enhanced and had that, that chip turned on. And um, so now he is actually leading a, a group himself against, against the Bad Batch. But at the, at the start of the show, they kind of, you know, hint, obviously, he's a little more serious about the clone war and the clone mission. And he's always like, even he, he says it many times, says a good soldier always completes a mission. Yeah. Or always follows orders, I guess, sorry, always follows orders. So you kind of had an inkling from the start that he was going to be, he was going to be an issue, right? Because you knew that obviously the Bad Batch five characters were going to be the, the protagonists and obviously be good guys and they were helping the Jedis out and they didn't fall for the Order 66. But you knew that Crosshair, uh, the one lone guy, was the one that you knew he wanted to he wanted to complete the mission and he wanted to follow through with order 66 but he didn't real they the group didn't realize after they fought with him they didn't and left him behind they didn't realize at the time that he was it was part of his programming and there was nothing he could really do about it at the very very beginning i was actually digging crosshair based on the name he's the the sharpshooter of the bunch i really wanted to see him continue as part of the group right from the get-go and i hate the fact that he's been split from the group for sure but they need i mean they do need a good solid like this is kind of the vulnerability that you have that is important to every hero and every bad guy is that yeah now you have this guy who now you know that once once they kind of bump heads again one of the one of them is going to say oh i can't go through with this while the other one just yes you know, decides, ah, I got to do it, right? Let's not forget about the kind of the newest character to the Bad Bat Batch, the little girl, Omega. Yeah, I was not sure of her at first. I, I always I always cringe a little bit whenever they include like a child character in some of these uh, shows, not not specifically Star Wars, but any any show where they always have like a badass child character. But she, she is really kind of, uh, she's, been pretty good like she she gets herself in trouble but she also gets herself out of trouble which has been pretty cool yeah i think it's the the third episode where they crash land on a planet where a part from the ship is taken away by by a dragon hunter goes out to track her and omega goes along hunter actually gets knocked out or gets his face mask uh, which allows him to breathe the the air there it's knocked off and she takes his taser 
and goes down into the ground into a tunnel after this this dragon and comes back with the the piece she's like a naive character because she's been stuck on on the uh the uh, original clone planet I, I don't remember the name of the planet at the top of my head but she she's been stuck there like living there and so she hasn't really had exposure to the dangers of other worlds and all that stuff. And she kind of shows that. I think it's in the second episode where they stop or maybe it's the end of the first episode where they stop on another planet. Yeah, I think maybe the second one and they they come across that family. Yeah. And she picks up dirt and she's never like handled dirt before or anything like that. So she's just like she's so excited by like something like that. And, and then she goes out. Yeah. And there's that one point where she's playing ball with the other children. All the other children just say, oh, let's just leave the ball. Don't go get the ball. You know, don't worry about the ball because it goes outside of the uh, outside of the barrier. And the kids know that the other kids know that there's dangers out there. And she's like, whatever. So she goes and gets it. And then obviously that causes one of the issues, many issues for the, the group is naive. But then she she's learning and. At the same time, where the bad bash, the the, the main the main uh, military guys are very military, very their first answer is usually violence. Yeah. When she goes into to chase a dragon, the uh, the moon dragon, she doesn't use violence. She's afraid, but at the same time, she knows that you know the dragon is just wants to eat, and it doesn't not her and energy in particular. Yeah, and so she realizes, wait a second, the creature is just as scared of her as she is scared of it. And so then she, you know, she uses reason. She just doesn't try to kill the dragon right away or hurt the dragon. She, But she gets, she ends up getting it back without any harm coming to anybody. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler here. Um, so she's moving her flashlight back and forth and realizing that the moon dragon is following it uh, just like a, a cat going back and forth. And realizes that she's just interested in the energy source that it is. And so she throws it off in the corner. The moon dragon goes chasing after and she's able to to grab the, the piece for the spaceship, hightails it out of the out of the hole. And I think that's that shows that, you know, that she her compassion or her mm-hmm. her forethought and thinking instead of going in guns blazing to go in and use your thought and use reason you know solve problems will be a great asset to this team even at first you might think okay no she's just going to be a problem for them but now you're starting to see that okay so she's going to be the the reasonable and the logical side compared to their violent and aggressive and strong side so it's going to be like a really good combination she's going to be she's a great member for the team what i found really interesting in episode two when the family is going to be leaving the planet they've got to get out of there and now all of their their currency their credits have to be exchanged for this chain code and to travel on any public transportation it requires a chain code and i'm wondering you know, are we about to see this in the <laughs> Real life. future ourselves? <laughs> uh, you know what? The way things have been going, the way things have been going, actually this whole show in a way, I kind of get the feeling that it's it, just exactly how things are going with us, right? You know, it's kind of cool. Maybe maybe this is what we're going to. They're, they talk about, they keep talking about in, in our reality, not in Star Wars reality. They keep talking about a, a new world order in a way or a reset. The Emperor... And the, the Galactic Empire taking over to make everything work seamlessly. The show is is a direct parallel to our reality. For the listeners, if you want to see what our world is about to t- uh, turn into, definitely turn into the Bad Batch. So this has been another episode of How to Survive the Modern World or Gen X.
isn't just a fashion statement. Brought to you by tribe74.com. Don't forget to check them out. Definitely. Everyone, thank you for listening tonight. It's been wonderful. Rob, as always, thank you for coming out. Appreciate it. And we will talk again. Peace. Ciao.